When I'm having a good hair day, that's when I'm my best self. I feel good. I look great. And I will say, painting sulfate-free rose water collection is a part of that. The Rose Water Collection. It feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Hi guys, my name is Sammy J. I have been working as a correspondent and interviewer since I was 13. And now at 17, I am so honored to be the youngest person to have her own podcast on iHeartRadio. It's called Let's Be Real with Sammy J. We'll have in-depth and unfiltered conversations with celebrities, activists, athletes, and influencers. We'll cover topics we're curious about, topics my guests are passionate about, and topics many of us are just too afraid to talk about. I get past the fluff to what's real. We go there, and it's fun, pretty crazy, and very revealing. Listen to Let's Be Real with Sammy J on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline, I... I feel like I should be wearing my high tops mm-hmm. and my favorite striped sweatshirt mm-hmm. for this episode. Yeah, I should totally be in my... Ath- Is it Athleta? The brand? Yeah. Yes, Athleta. I, sh- I should be wearing my fancy Athleta sweatshirt. It's, it's sweatshirt material. It's very soft, but it has like an asymmetrical front. Ooh. So it's snazzy. I didn't realize... I went into Athleta one time looking for sports bras. And as I was walking around, I was like, whoa, they have clothes like that I can wear outside and not have it look like I'm just walking around in gym clothes. Yeah, Athleta is a division of Gap. Yes. And their clothes are becoming more successful than Gap's. I know. Well, because of athleisure. Yeah. Well, Gap did just hire a new creative director, I think. So maybe they'll come stage a comeback. Perhaps. But can anything be as comfortable as that sweatshirt? I submit to you that it cannot. Yeah, I am wearing uh, these pants that are kind of as close to yoga pants as I could get wearing to the office. Mm-hmm. They're like a thicker yoga pant, but they got a zip in the back, y'all. What? what? It's a little sassy. Stretchy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they also still feel slightly inappropriate for the office, but my gosh, all of the spandex is just so comfortable. It's like I'm not wearing pants at all. <laughs> uh, which is actually like my nightmare about <laughs> yeah, the I've office. Had, I've had that dream. About myself, not you. <laughs> oh, good. Good. <laughs> um, but we're talking about our high tops, um, which I do own, and I do love them. They're so warm. They're like Uggs, but like better, you know, because they keep more your, socially acceptable. Yeah, a little bit at this point, yeah. yes. Um, and all of our comfortable clothes, because as you probably guess from the title of this podcast episode, <laughs> we're talking about the athleisure trend because it's here to stay. And I argue that it says a lot about perhaps where we are workplace culture wise. Oh, yeah. And some some gender workplace and out of workplace culture wise i would say that it says a lot about the fact that work life balance doesn't really it's not a thing anymore people yeah. talk about work life balance from a very like 80s and 90s perspective but in our changing economy kristen especially as we get more fancy tech companies that let you bring your dog to work that's not us by the way uh there's really no line between life and work anymore. Yeah, and on the gendered side of it, too, it's really not dressing for a male gaze. Yeah. Like, wearing my high tops and sweatshirt, I am not turning heads, except other girls' heads to be like, where'd you get them high tops? Those are cute. You look so comfortable. Exactly. And sensible. And so it's it's really interesting to think of high fashion now, um, really colliding with what was more of a, a lower fashion. Uh, but first, let's talk about athleisure. What is this thing, athleisure, this portmanteau of athletic? It's like Benifer. Athleisure. Benifer, yes. Ben and Jennifer. Who was that? that oh. First, it was Ben Affleck and J-Lo. Uh, and then, oh. uh, rest in peace, 
Jennifer Garner. Oh, t- She's not dead. I just mean they're getting a divorce. Too soon, Caroline. Yeah. Rest in peace to that marriage. Sorry. Back to sweatpants. <laughs> uh, yeah, athleisure is basically the concept of dressing for the gym if you want to be really cute when you go to the gym. But actually going to the gym is so optional. Yeah. Oh, trust me. I have. There have been days where I'm like, God, you know. I've been cleaning my apartment all day. I really need to go to the grocery store, but I am gross looking and I'm not wearing makeup and I'm not about to put makeup on. How can I go to the grocery store looking like this and have it be socially acceptable? I know this has literally happened more than once, often. Uh, I will put on, I'll change out of my like gross cleaning clothes and put on like cuter yoga specific clothes and tennis shoes and socks and be like, see, I just I just came from the gym, maybe athleisure. (laughs) See, It it works on so many levels. Um, Vogue reported in October 2014 that roughly half of the people buying activewear these days. So Mm -hmm. you yoga pants and sports brassias and such. (laughs) They're buying it for non-active use, such as going to the grocery store. Heck yeah, everything that Stacey London would preach against. I know. Oh, Stacey London, where are you? We have so many questions for you. We do have so many questions. Mostly about the singular pant. Yeah. The sweat pant. Yoga pant. Yes. Jean Uh, pant. But I loved this, though. Uh, Women's Health noted... That in 2013, yoga participation was up 4.5%, namaste, but <laughs> yoga wear sales were up 45%. We have a whole wardrobe. And I will confess, Caroline, that I am consistently one of the worst dressed in yoga because uh. I cannot, uh, I, I just don't have the disposable income to buy all sorts of things. And I, you know, I probably should buy newer sports bras, but it's all like I'm in like tattered rags comparatively. <laughs> Cinderella. Yeah. To these, these women who come in with oh, yeah. very cute ensembles. That's the same way I, my, whether I'm doing yoga or running or whatever, my uniform is t-shirt, probably from some event that I went to and uh, knee length yoga pants. And sneakers. Um, and so I am also, I, I basically, I don't look like I'm a professional yoga doer. Speaking, though, of T-shirts, Caroline, I don't know about you, but one of my favorites to wear in yoga class or working out is my uh, WWGD T-shirt, which is what would Gloria do, uh, as in Gloria Steinem. It yeah. makes me feel empowered a little bit while well, I'm working out. You know, Kristen, one of my favorite shirts to work out in is the Hey Lady shirt featuring none other than yours truly and also yours truly pointing at you that you can buy on our Spreadshirt store. Do people ever do double takes when they notice that you're wearing your face on your your boobs? <laughs> <laughs> No, no, because I guess it's a cartoon rendering, so so it's not as clear. It's our caricature faces. We both have giant <laughs> noses and chins, unrecognizable. Um, well, back to athleisure. I get, can we just talk about our faces on shirts for another half hour? Um, back to athleisure, though. There were lots of different terms for it before the industry kind of uh, begrudgingly settled on athleisure. It's been called performance lifestyle. Mm. The Wall Street Journal called it convertible dressing. Mm. And my favorite, some bloggers tried to call it the cozy boy movement. This what is for, for guys. Oh. And GQ also tried to make sports core happen. But no, no, no. No. It's I'm, leisure. I'm sure the people who call it sports core also go to CVS and buy the shower poof that's made specifically for men. Which is like a dollar cheaper than regular shower poofs. I'm not mad. Sports core. I did post about it on my Instagram though. Um, but it's not like this is cheap. It's not like opting out of mainstream fashion and wearing your yoga pants to be sports core is a cheaper lifestyle. All you have to do for evidence is visit Tory Birch's athleisure offshoot called Tory Sport for avant and après sport clothes. I love that. Uh, I did not see the price, but saw that uh, it offers some pearl encrusted sneakers. Ugh. I can't believe my mother hasn't tried to make me buy those yet. Oh, maybe I'll drop a little friendly hint for the holidays. Sally, don't answer the phone when Kristen calls. Um, And we are buying 
this stuff up like hotcakes. Uh, Forbes magazine recently reported that U.S. consumers spent $323 billion on apparel, footwear, and accessories in 2014, which is only up 1% from the previous year. But that 1% is a $2 billion worth 1%. So nothing to sneeze at. And that money has only grown since. Mm-hmm. Well, I was interested to see that this... I just figured the word athleisure and the concept was new, Relatively. Is anything ever new anymore, Caroline? I'm figuring out that it's not. I thought it was really interesting that Merriam-Webster actually traced the first use of the portmanteau athleisure to a 1979 issue of Nation's Business. In that article, John Gebauer, who was the Sporting Goods Manufacturers Association's director of advertising and promotion at the time, said... The booming popularity of fitness has given birth to a similar boom in apparel and footwear designed for those who actually participate in sports and those who just want to look as if they do. The whole athleisure, a new term that's popped up, market is in a state of tremendous growth. So the more things change, Kristen, the more things change. The more things change, the more we just revert to sweatsuits. Yeah. Well, at least we're not doing that. We, I mean, collectively, and this is idealistic, but at least we're not doing the whole juicy on the butt thing anymore. Right, please. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That trend. That was a high school era trend for us Mm -hmm. where I remember my mother was outraged at the idea of young women wearing slogans on their behinds. Well, I just I just think that wearing like a pink terry cloth uh, jumpsuit is None too flattering. I had some of those terry cloth pants, Caroline. Nothing on the butt, but they were an unfortunate shade of orange. <laughs> um, but we've definitely seen this fashion trend even before 1979. This whole interplay of of how do we blend our sporting life with our everyday life life. <laughs> and Britt Peterson broke this down in a fantastic Boston Globe column where she notes that sporting specific clothes first appeared in the Middle Ages with things like gauntlets for falconry and riding boots for riding (laughs) things. Um, And they were status symbols, not surprisingly, because if you could afford to not only have time to have these hobbies and then also have these special things that you would wear while doing them, that mm-hmm. takes some money. I mean, and falconry, just period. I mean, the, the <laughs> cost of entry is astonishing. No, I wear my sports falcon everywhere. <laughs> yes. Um, What's your sports falcon's name? Jim. Jim. Yeah. Old Jim. Jim. But as we see sports develop as a thing, like team sports start to develop, custom athletic wear evolves along with it. And specifically, though, for the aristocratic among us, because it signals that you have time to play sports and that you have the money to invest in what at the time were often custom Outfits. I mean, think about it. In the late 19th century, you're seeing this boom in cycling and tennis. And for tennis, oh, God help you if you're not wearing your adorable tennis whites. Yeah. And and women need to move around to do both of these things. Um, and there is a growing aversion to wearing corsets and more restrictive clothing as a result of that. So you see the rise of sporting dresses and, of course, Bloomers, which we've mentioned so often on the podcast. Um, Peterson, though, in the Boston Globe, described bloomers as, quote, the yoga pants of the 1890s, which that alone justifies us doing this episode. If we can link Amelia Bloomer and reform dress and first wave feminism to yoga pants today, perfect. Hmm. And Amelia Bloomer's sentiments about the need for this bifurcated garment. Um, and in case you aren't familiar with bloomers, they are sort of mid-calf. Hammer pants. <laughs> They're like hammer pants, but you would wear still a skirt over them, but it would be a shorter skirt, more knee length or mid-calf because come on. But lots of room to let your knees breathe. Yes, yes. But we're still ladies. Uh, but Bloomer said around 1850, quote, as soon as it became known that I was 
wearing the new dress. Letters came pouring in upon me by the hundreds from women all over the country, making inquiries about the dress and asking for patterns, showing how ready and anxious women were to throw off the burden of long, heavy skirts. And to me, that so echoes the athleisure relief of saying, Oh, I can wear high tops to the office or <laughs> out to dinner if I want to instead of heels. Fantastic. Let us throw off our burdensome garments and put on a sports bra. And when we move into the 20th century, sports and leisure become more fashionable with help from people like Coco Chanel and other famous designers who reinvented sportswear, which is not just sportswear. It could be active wear that you're wearing to be active and do active things. It could be passive and that you are a spectator of something active. Or it could just mean that you're uh, flitting about town or, or driving out to the country to, to look at your horses. Yeah, sportswear is not really not like running shoes and shorts. It's more like a Michael Kors Ensemble I never, I never understood that as someone who's consumed women's magazines my entire life. Basically, like, like seeing pictures of like the the spring sportswear. I'm like, they're wearing blazers. You can't play sports in that. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> you can't play badminton in a blazer. Um, but speaking of bloomers, it is just a degree of separation away from athleisure. Again, I, clearly I'm very obsessed with this link between uh, 19th century bloomers and my yoga classes today. Uh, because there were actually, between the two, um, yoga bloomers. This is just like fun fact. I was trying to find the origin of yoga pants because... Obviously, yogis of old did not wear Lululemon yoga pants or or any kind of like spandex garment. Um, In the 1970s, though, apparently uh, yogis in the U.S. usually wore T-shirts and yoga bloomers, which kind of look like oversized diapers or shorts, but the hem is gathered so that when you are doing your poses, you are not exposing your genitals to the rest of the, the class. Just, just a considerate thing. Although, I mean, like a lot of yogis will, you know, if you're like really hardcore about it, you'll do that stuff naked. Um, but... Well, I think it's funny then, though, that the L.A. Times read about in May 2015 that the, quote, once disparate worlds of fashion and athletics have been on a convergence course because it's obviously not news. It's obviously been happening since Amelia Bloomer. Exactly. Um, But why, though? But why now? Why are we all essentially wearing yoga pants all the time? Well... It took off in 2014, just to give you a sense of like how quickly this happened. And you did have like a lot of celebrity-led collaborations, like uh, Alexander Wang and H&M, Beyonce and Topshop. So, athleisure was brought to the masses. But there obviously were some some background factors to this. First of all, in early 2014, we had normcore <sighs> becoming mainstream. That I'm sorry, it that hit too close to home because that is how my mother dressed. I'm like, why does every freaking hipster look like Sally circa 1987? It's driving me crazy. The white Reeboks, give it up. Well, it's not all that, Caroline. It's not all normcore. Okay. There's also the influence of Silicon Valley. I mean, it's essentially the the tech casual wardrobe influence because there is no more demarcation between between work and life because work is life, especially mm-hmm. if you are in any kind of tech related, creative related industry. Whatsoever, or if you're Mark Zuckerberg, or if you're Mark Zuckerberg, I mean that's the thing. Like, is Mark Zuckerberg the original athleisure evangelist? I'm pretty sure at night when he is going to bed and he unzips his hoodie, he just has another one underneath. But it's just flannel for like pajama <laughs> material. Yeah. Um, and this is also reflected in this whole rise of wearable tech too. Of course, we're like strapping things on ourselves to monitor our heartbeat and how well we're sleeping and how many Cheetos we just ate and whatever. And it's something that GQ talked about in an article they wrote. It's time to start thinking of the clothes you wear, not as fashion, but as tech. They are intuitive, modular, and way outside the cubicle tools that keep you moving on a frictionless path forward. So 
what Mark Zuckerberg would call a hoodie, right? <laughs> or, a, or a hoodie. Yeah. Or a, if you make enough money, you can call it a hoodie, I would think. Yeah. But since we're dressing at least like we are going to work out, maybe before work or after work, does this mean that our actual fitness consciousness is rising? Well, we're going to talk about that when we come right back from a quick break. Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's Rosewater Collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rosewater because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally, and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them, so that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. Okay, the new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman have never been more hilarious as America's favorite moms turned gangsters, Beth, Ruby, and Annie. Already this season, there have been some big twists and breathtaking surprises. The fans love it, and the critics do, too. Variety calls good girls addictive and audacious. Entertainment Weekly says it's just what you need, and Rotten Tomatoes certifies good girls 100% fresh. So, if you've missed any of the new season, get yourself online and stream it now. And Sundays on NBC, watch it live. There's sure to be big twists and huge surprises. So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone. The all-new, all-hilarious season of Good Girls, Sundays on NBC and stream anytime. So as we noted at the top of the podcast, a lot of people are at least dressing like they're going to go to the gym. Yep. You know, and look cute. While they're at the gym, they could take a selfie at the gym and like be proud of what they see because they're like matched and it's, you know, they're cool zigzags on your sports bras now. Um, but does that mean we are actually paying, you know, more attention to our bodies and exercising more? No, no, not necessarily. Uh, at the same time that all of this athletic apparel Sales has been on the rise in the past five years. We've seen actual participation in individual racket and team sports falling. And outdoor water and fitness sports were also flat. That's coming from Fast Company. We've also got the the thing, too, in terms of, like, fashion and body image of, like, fitspo being a thing and, like, thin and toned being an ideal versus the 90s, like, thin and wafy. So we are, like, striving for a certain image, even if we're not actually working out or playing racquetball. And I was surprised, actually, to see those numbers because I live near a pure bar, for instance, and every Saturday it is packed to the gills and is also catty corner to a Lululemon, which is, I feel like, very intentional. Um, and also, too, you you know, we recently heard about the Soul Cycle IPO, where we have this mega franchise. So, I mean, I just assumed that, yeah, we're all working out all the time, right? Not really. I guess not. I'm buying into it. <laughs> I'm being duped. This is the trickery that Don Karen was talking to the Huffington Post about. Yeah, she was saying that she thinks it's dressing the part of fitness, so people will just assume you're living a fit lifestyle regardless of whether you actually are. Yeah, and and she, by the way, is a fashion psychologist, which is an occupation that makes total sense that it exists, but I did not know it was a thing. I've got a lot of questions for fashion psychologists, specifically, what do my overalls really say about me? <laughs> well, I mean, but this isn't a new thing either. I mean, this goes back to your 1920s tennis whites, too, of like, look how much money I have that I'm able to pay for these custom fancy clothes. True. Um, and, I mean, part of the appeal, obviously, too, is the comfort. Uh, as someone at Forbes wrote, comfort is queen with athleisure clothing because... 
I mean, it, it's an excuse to to really dress as comfortably as we want. Yet another thing, Kristen, that Stacey London would smack down forcefully. Because, I mean, how many episodes of What Not to Wear were people... She's like, why are you wearing that? And they're like, well, it's comfortable. She's shaking her fist at them. But I would be so curious to know whether Stacey London approves at least of the comfort being somewhat fashion-forward and well-fitting, unlike someone just wearing... You know, an old T-shirt and sweats. I do wonder. I did wonder. Literally, I really did. I did wonder if Stacey London and other like fashion industry type commenting people are changing their tunes somewhat on athletic apparel and comfortable apparel. What I'm seeing are the guides now of how to take your athleisure look from the office to happy hour. So it's usually wearing like a stretchy pant with a blazer and heels. And and like a wedge, yeah, yeah, and necklace, and I mean it's still very expensive. Mm. It's not like it's not like it's easier to dress well, necessarily. Cut to the chase, just buy sequin leggings. Oh, perfect! And then it's appropriate for all occasions. I'm just imagining how annoying it would be for me to hear just like every time I I walk and my thighs rub together, it's just sequin you know, chafing. Kristen, if you want me to stop wearing my windsuit to the office, all you have to do is ask. <sighs> it's just it's a minor request. But even Vogue is saying that maybe this is a statement that fashion has become too fussy. At which point I'm like, well, what is holy anymore? What is sacred? Yeah, I mean, and speaking about her Tory Sport new uh, store, Tory Burch told Vogue, quote, it really seemed like a change in the way women were dressing. I started to think, how do we make this stuff chic again? What a lot of sports brands miss is femininity, unless it's a garish femininity in the form of exposed body parts and neon colors. Heavens. So, I mean, that's the thing, though. I mean, you, you have designers who are basically plucking up, you know, the sweatpants and remaking them to be chic. Now I'm being reminded of how Kanye West started leather sweatpants, but that's a conversation for another time. Um, but you know what I mean? Like it's, uh, it's not necessarily that it might be comfortable. It might be more comfortable, but it's not necessarily more accessible. Yeah. And I mean, for some designers, uh, not all, as we'll talk about in just a second, but for some designers, like, Hey, as long as you're still like visibly feminine, it's okay to wear a sweatpant. Yeah. I mean, and and the company, obviously, that made this their bread and butter straight to the bank is Lululemon, uh, which was founded by Canadian Chip Wilson in 1998. And his intention, as reported on in The New Yorker, was to set out to make yoga clothes stylish enough to wear all day. And yes, this is the same Chip Wilson, who in December 2013 had to step down as Lulu chairman because he had a kind of fat shamey excuse for that little incident when some of their yoga pants were, had uh, transparent crotches mm. made your happy babies a little bit R rated. Your happy babies. Your happy baby. Yeah. So you, it's a yoga pose. Oh where yeah, yeah. Okay. You lay on your back. And you grab your feet. I was like, what do you call your vagina, Kristen? Not my happy baby. (laughs) Not my happy baby, Caroline. Well, Lululemon has seen a 16% growth in sales overall, uh, despite share price drops after that whole see-through happy baby incident. Uh, Website sales this year are up 31%. And it's funny that their sizing focuses on feel rather than body shape. So are the fits, the fits are named hugged, naked, relaxed, tight and held in. Yes. And speaking of the hugged, they uh, as of this podcast recording, uh, they just launched like some new I don't know if it's a new line or what, but they described these pants as being engineered to feel like. A friend giving you Ugh. a close hug. Get off. I know. <laughs> Get off me. I was like, hey, I'm not a hugger. No, and especially don't be hugging my legs and my butt. Right. Get out of there. Like, why Why would my friend be hugging my thighs? It's so strange. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that is was, so strange. That was, it, it's, it was circulating on like the, the fashion and women's blogs being like, uh, Lululemon. No, thank you. I've been in a Lululemon once and I went in again. It was the thing of like, oh, I need some yoga pants like this is 
great. I'll go in here. And I, I literally did the thing where, because I can't help myself sometimes, I picked up a pair of pants and just started laughing because they're so expensive. Oh, yeah. I can't go in. It's I, I cannot afford Lululemon, hands down. And then I had like a seven foot tall man wearing a man bun. <laughs> Uh, who weighed approximately seven pounds, look at me and be like, can I help you? And I'm like, no, obviously you can't. And then he started hugging your thighs, <laughs> and you were like, get me out of here. <laughs> um, but you also see this in companies like Adidas and Nike taking advantage of this trend. Uh, Nike specifically has been blowing out its athleisure offerings for women, including things called the Aero React shirt that detects when you're about to sweat and it'll loosen up a little bit. Hmm. And that is kind of cool. It is cool and weird. Um, but yeah, Nike also, their sales in 2014 were up 10% over the year before. Under Armour's were up 26%. Nike also had a really successful hashtag better for it digital campaign that wooed fans with everyday women models instead of professional models. And they're very optimistic that they're going to keep this uh, momentum going. They estimate that they can grow their women's sales by 40% to $7 billion by 2017. And Nike CEO Mark Parker is so confident in this that at the 2014 Women's Innovation Summit, and wait for this innovation, friends, he said, quote, leggings are the new denim, not jeggings, <laughs> leggings. And so that's the question. Like some people are saying, like, yoga pants are the new jean or should I say yoga pant are the new jean? I mean, I know I know. People, I guess, who wear leggings all the time as pants. I'm wearing them right now, Caroline. Well, but your yours look more. Let's be honest. Your legging pants look more like pants than leggings, Thank just because they're stretchy. You're also wearing a, a blousey shirt. It's a buffalo check. Thank <laughs> Over you. It. Beyonce would be so proud. Um, I also just bought a plaid shirt the other day. We should wear them on the same day. I know we often do. It's weird. Um, it's like our plaids are syncing up. Um, but Gap's Athleta pants are also nipping at sales of their jeans, according to Forbes. And like I said, I am that person who has nearly switched over from Gap to Athleta, mainly because Gap is just not that inspired anymore. I don't think we've ever talked this much on the podcast about how we dress. I wonder if listeners are like, they wear what? <sighs> High top who? Unsubscribe. It's just... <laughs> But the thing is, in the workplace, athleisure could become the new power suit. What? Shoulder pads? <laughs> yes. Um, no. No, this was something explored in a paper from the Harvard Business School called The Red Sneakers Effect, Inferring Status and Competence from Signals of Nonconformity. And basically what these researchers found was that Non-conforming behavior, such as wearing a hoodie mm-hmm. or a high top in a workplace environment, can signal higher status, so long as it's done intentionally. Mm-hmm. And this is what they call the red sneaker effect. So Mark Zuckerberg, for instance, and his trademark hoodie does have a red sneaker effect because he's like, hey, y'all, I'm crazy successful, and I'm just going to wear a hoodie to work because that's what I'm comfortable in. Yeah, it's it's basically a prerequisite that you must be powerful, and confident. This must be coming from a place of not only I give no hoots, but also that you have the status and stature to back it up. It's a type of conspicuous consumption, the authors write, and it's a status symbol among Silicon Valley executives. Well, and they use the example, too, of going into a high-end store in, say, your yoga pants and sneakers. Mm-hmm. And actually getting better service because of it, because it looks like, oh, you just, you know, you're just uh, running errands about your day. You know, you just came from the gym. Mm -hmm. So it looks like an intentional kind of thing. Although I'm the opposite. If I end up going into a store when I'm fresh from a workout, I don't want anyone to talk to me. I know. Well, mainly because, as my mother pointed out my entire life, if I'm not wearing blusher, uh, I look a little dead. So I'm sure salespeople tend to avoid me because they're like, ah, the, the zombie apocalypse has begun and it's and it's wearing athleisure. I'm just imagining you with like the clown, clown cheeks <laughs> crying as I apply <laughs> in a windsuit. <laughs> um, but I wonder, though, in the real world, whether the athleisurely dressed dude in the workplace 
would be judged the same as an athleisurely dressed woman. Or maybe I should put that opposite. Like, like, do women, would women benefit from that status bump of dressing down versus dressing up? Because, I mean, just what it made me think of was the contrast between, and this might just be personal style, mm-hmm. but the contrast between Mark Zuckerberg hoodie and Sheryl Sandberg always in like a very smart dress suit blouse. Well, that actually makes me think of one particular job that will go unnamed that I used to have um, where the extreme like dedication that some coworkers had to dressing up for work was more for each other. And I, I'm speaking of women specifically. Like, yeah, the guys wore ties and button-up shirts, whatever. But, like, the women that I worked around were always, like, so impeccably dressed. I was not. I didn't have the status to back up my nonconformity, but <laughs> but I was nonconforming. Um, and so I don't. I don't know, because it's more like it seems like women in the workplace are more dressing up for themselves and each other. That's true. I catch myself doing that sometimes. I mean, I do have a desk next to you, Caroline. (laughs) So and you're like, how do I top the windsuit that she wears? (laughs) Tiny top hat. (laughs) Done. Holly of Stuff You Missed in History Class does have a tiny top hat that she received from a listener. Oh, and it you can put perfume in it. Huh. Yeah. How handy. I'll I'll stand by the mailbox, listeners. <laughs> hint, hint. We'll be waiting. <laughs> um although maybe instead of perfume if I could, if it could just be a snack pouch. Snacks. Yeah, I know. I, you're on my wavelength, Congress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, then I I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's rosewater collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rosewater because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally, and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them. So that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Here's the thing. Saving money with GEICO is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. We've got a couple things in common. We both love snacks. (laughs) And... Windsuits. But back to the windsuits and gender. There's a question of whether this signals a fashion move away from binary gender because a lot of these athleisure styles are pretty unisex. Um, Ruth LaFerla, writing at the New York Times, described how Spring Fashion Week 2015 was marked by, quote, that deliberate erosion on the runways of a once rigid demarcation between conventionally feminine and masculine clothes. Yeah, I think they cited Kanye's stuff, right? Yeah, the Yeezy line is very loose, uh, monochromatic, and would look basically the same on a guy or a girl. Yeah, so there seems to be this trend in some sportswear, obviously not things like Tory Burch, but in some sportswear, that unisex is hip. Basically, you're taking the gender cues out of the merchandising. Like, literally, some stores, like, don't have, you know, the, like, this is the women's section over here. Um, and they're leaving it up to just what the individual shopper wants to wear. And and to me, this kind
kind of almost makes sense. It's like when you think about some of the younger fashion designers today, it's like they're just art kids, you know, art school kids. And, and I'm, I'm absolutely not saying that in a dismissive way. We love all. art school kids. I'm saying this with full love and respect. That like, yeah, maybe there's just a wave of younger generation fashion designers who are like, screw all of your gender norms. And while we want you to pay for our clothes that we make, like screw all of this materialism that circulates around these gender divisions that we just don't need. Well, because how often, too, have we seen menswear being slightly recut for women to wear? Yeah. I mean, I am I'm essentially wearing menswear right now. I'm wearing an oversized button down plaid shirt. My fiance actually asked me, Caroline, if it was his (laughs) because he has a very similar, similarly printed uh, button down shirt. Kristen Conger, have you had your engagement photos made yet by any chance? I am waiting for the day when we both walk out. In basically the identical shirt, and he will hate it, and I will love it. Now, my boyfriend and I, we both wear gray V-neck T-shirts all the time. So yeah, I mean, like it's it's not like I mean the demarcation that's been there has basically been imposed by brands and designers, probably to sell more clothes, and also to depending on the fit, so that it will it will fit our things like our boobs and hips and butts better. But you're now seeing designers like Baja East and 69 and stores, entire stores like Acne and Assembly New York that are making identical clothes for everybody, but maybe just cutting them a little bit differently. So, again, you can have more of a feminine fit if you want it. But they also will have unisex sections. Well, so is athleisure freeing us? Are we being liberated, Kristen? Can we run out in the street and celebrate? I want to say that we are being liberated um, to a degree, but it's not like our wallets are being liberated. It's not like the rules for dressing are going away because you still have so many designers telling us the right way to wear our high tops. Yeah, and I'm still on Pinterest, like I told Kristen earlier, like, how do I put an outfit together? I don't know. Humans do it. How do they do it? Yeah, and this also reflects to something that Amelia Bloomer of Bloomer fame once said. Uh, She said, quote, the costume of women should be suited to her wants and necessities. It should conduce at once to her health, comfort and usefulness. And while it should not fail also to conduce to her personal adornment, it should make that end of secondary importance. So basically, like, let's wear clothes that allow us to live our lives. And to an extent, I think that athleisure is a sign of us doing it. But I mean, I don't want to necessarily say that it's liberating because it's still this massive industry that people are just grabbing money from. So you wouldn't say it's like the modern version of reform dress? I think I think yes and no. I think there's a little bit of that. I think it's a little too soon to tell, maybe. Yeah. Because the trend still is new. I do think it's here to stay for at least a while. But we're going to swing back to more feminine cuts at some point because that's how fashion is. It's that cyclical. Is, that is how fashion is. I mean, we're always going to want comfortable clothes. That has not changed. That will never change. Um, but you're right. I think that... You would be foolish to think that, like, suddenly athleisure as a thing is going to dominate fashion from here on out forever and ever. And that we're we're going to start wearing just like snuggies to work every day, although our office is cold enough that I wouldn't mind one. But I do think that it is a shift away from dressing for male gaze to dressing actually for more of a female gaze, because... What I see now in the way girls dress, like you said, in the case of your old co-workers, it's more to delight their girlfriends than to hunt for boyfriends. And that means something different to different people. Yes. For that particular group of women, the status and the being pleasing to the eye and all of that stuff revolved around a very certain set of clothes that were more on like the pencil skirt end of the spectrum. And that's fine. And and they looked all they looked amazing. But I'm sure for another group of women at a different workplace where there wasn't a dress code or as strict of a dress code, um, maybe not a snuggy workplace. But it, w- it would be different. That would mean something different to those women. Yeah. I mean, the shift away from just overt sexiness in the way that we usually think of it is interesting. And this reminds me that uh, one of my best friends 
and my sister and I now all have the exact same pair of Nike high tops. <laughs> and I love it. Yeah. It's like a little club. Yeah. Well, I love my Asics. Caroline, no. No. They aren't. They're they tiger. Aren't Nike high tops. No. Mm-mm. How is it's tiger? Is it on it? Suka? I don't even know. I can't actually read. It's real embarrassing. I do like your Asics. Thank though. you. Thank you. Well, now, what do we want to know from listeners about athleisure, Caroline? Do you wear it? Have you been shamed for it? Do you feel less shamed for it recently? Yeah. My plan is to take full advantage of the trend because also I'm a tall woman and I appreciate being, quote unquote, allowed to wear flats out if I want to. Yeah. I used to catch flack from more fashionable friends of mine for not wearing heels all the time, partially because I did not want to be 6'2 and towering over everyone else, which time and place, it's great. Yes. Um, so I like that. I like the comfort element. Winter is coming. I can wear my sweatshirt. <laughs> You're right. Game of Thrones is about to come back on. <laughs> it's true. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think I'm, a, I'm kind of full throttle athleisure, but to a, a limit. I'm not going to buy any pearl encrusted sneakers or anything like that. I'll return them. <laughs> Just you wait. Sally might get you some, Caroline. I wouldn't be surprised. But I am curious to know from listeners too, if it feels like we're dressing ourselves, especially as women, in a more us-centric kind of way, dressing for ourselves rather than especially to be sexy ladies. I mean, I'm sure part of it is dressing for ourselves, and I love wearing that sweatshirt thing because it's so soft and comfy, and I can dress it mostly down. Uh, But so much of it, too, is just people being like, oh, this is a thing now. I'm going to do this. Yeah. Just like anything with fashion. There's going to be people, too, when super like feminine, close cut, fitted outfits come back around that are going to be like, oh, thank, thank goodness I can be myself. Because everybody has a thing. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing we definitely did not get into is how, you know, body types with athleisure. Like, I, I don't know that it is a trend for every body. It does seem to be promoting a very specific beauty ideal. That yeah. is that more fitspo, soul cycle, muscular. Build. Well, sure. And I mean, I think it's just fashion catching up to some people and leaving behind others. I mean, I've worn, I've had those Asics forever. Like I've always worn sneakers with jeans and stuff like that. Um, and your power suits. And, and my power suits. I mean, so many shoulder pads in my yoga clothes. Yeah. It's just for, you know, shoulder stand, extra yeah. padding. Well, listeners, send us your thoughts. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you when we come right back from a quick break. Caroline, we know that people will do whatever it takes to make sure businesses run efficiently. And constant trips to the post office? Ha! That ain't the way to do it. But with Stamps.com, you'll be able to spend less time at the old post office and more time growing your business. Because with Stamps.com, mailing and shipping is easy. Your own computer and printer can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter and any package. Stamps.com does all the thinking for you. And right now, if you sign up for Stamps.com and use our promo code STUFF, you get a special offer. It's a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer that includes postage and a digital scale. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in STUFF. That's Stamps.com. Enter STUFF. And now, back to the show. We have a couple letters here about our waitressing episode. This one's from Jackie. Uh, she says, thank you for your podcast about waitressing. I am an actor slash actress, and I was on my supplementary job hunt again today. I kept on wrestling with myself to apply as a server, to go into places where the big tips are made and get a quick cash kind of job, but it made me feel a bit sad and sick. I couldn't really explain it to myself. Sexism was on my mind, and as I bicycled around Toronto, I felt so trapped by the idealism of what I should be doing and the reality I was faced with. The norm for someone in my situation would be to make 
make big tips at night and audition for TV during the day. I thought of my old hosting hostessing job at a fancy French restaurant where the uniform included red lipstick and flowing black skirts. I had to justify to myself why I had needed to quit. It took me time to remember how inadequate and fake I had felt flirting with the wealthy clientele and how I flushed red when my boss called women girls. We were trained to be craft-like in our positions and told that we would move up to be servers or ten bar if we were very good at our jobs and used our beautiful personalities, that's in quotes, with success. I only saw men tend the bar, and then I saw newly employed men on bar, and none of us girls hostessing were ever invited to be servers. The server assistants were all men, busboys. The men employed by the restaurant were on average 10 to 15 years older than the women slash girls. The job wasn't unbearable in its function, but the system made me uncomfortable. It was great to listen to your podcast. It helps me make sense of things when I can understand my perceptions in context with history and culture. The serving industry has been something which seems so defined in a system that has remained so the same. I loved hearing about how the stems of its culture in North America are from the Wild West. Thank you for your research and conversation. And thank you for your letter, Jackie. Well, I've got a letter here from Kelly, and she writes, I loved the waitressing episode. I never thought about the history behind waitressing, so I found a lot of this fascinating. Nor did I realize that there is so much controversy about the different aspects of waitressing. One thing that definitely stuck out to me was how people looked down on waitresses. When I was a freshman in college and my roommate was looking for a job, her parents wouldn't let her get a job as a waitress because they saw that as beneath her. As someone who had only worked in a restaurant, I was shocked. A friend of mine chose not to go to college and was waitressing part-time at a different restaurant than the one I worked in. Because it was small, she could easily be the only waitress working and would earn quite a bit in tips. As time went on, people began to ask her how long she was going to work as a waitress. Feeling the negativity, she began working as a secretary in a doctor's office. She told me later that while it was nice to dress up for work, she wasn't making as much money in the office as she did as a waitress. The restaurant I worked at was not high-end, but a busy tourist location, and on a good night, waitresses could take home several hundred dollars on summer nights. As far as harassment, even though I was never a waitress, I was still told to smile. Mostly by older men, which was incredibly creepy. I look young for my age, so that was frequently a question. Probably the worst interaction I had with a male customer was when he asked me, Does your boyfriend think you're cute? I responded, I don't have a boyfriend. And then he wondered, Well, what's wrong with you? I think I asked him how it was my fault, but I've never forgiven that awful question. I hope to not need to waitress in my life or cater any more weddings, but if I need to, I certainly wouldn't mind. And all those years definitely instilled in me how hard it can be to work in a restaurant and that things sometimes just go wrong. And I've become much more understanding about things that happen when I go out to eat. So thanks, Kelly. And thanks to all of the present and past servers that we've been hearing from. Your stories have been rolling in and we appreciate them. We appreciate all of your letters. MomStuffAtHowStuffWorks.com is where you can send them. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one with links to our sources so you can learn more about athleisure, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95% of women don't feel good about their hair, but Pantene is changing that. Pantene's Rosewater Collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. With Pantene's Rosewater Collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction. And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime.